0: The passage this morning, if you read it quickly, it, it almost sounds like the Apostle Paul is doing double talk. He's saying, it's okay to do this, but it's, it's, it's okay to do this, it's okay. And you kind of say, Paul, what are you talking about? One thing I learned in my study, which is kind of interesting, I never knew before. Saul, who later, as you know, in Acts chapter 9, who became Paul, Saul, as part of the Sanhedrin, as part of the upper echelon of the Pharisaical religious group, he would have had to have been married. He had a wife. And then all of a sudden, in 1 Corinthians 7, he's saying, when he's talking to singles, he says, I would wish that you would be like me. What are you talking about, Paul? From a historical perspective, either Paul's wife left this earth, passed away, or because of his new position, not necessarily in the Pharisaical realm, But in the army of the Lord Jesus Christ, there are some say that she left him, didn't want anything to do with him. I don't think that's the case. I think the case is, is that his wife did pass away because he mentions something like that in this passage. So we'll go with the, the case that Paul's wife passed away. And he's not looking to get remarried, by the way. He would rather be single. Why? I think as a society and as a church, we've, we've done our singles a, a, a disservice. For some reason, we feel as a society and maybe even as a church, that if you're really not married, then... You're, you're really not. Well, you're, obviously you're not married, but you're unfulfilled. I mean, I have said in my pre counseling sessions that when a, when a man gets engaged, he's half a man. But when he gets married, he's finished. I'll let that soak in for a while as I take a drink. Now, unfortunately, that's not true. But how do we deal with the passage that says in Genesis chapter 2 that the two shall become one? Does that mean that singles are only half the person? And Jesus, even in Matthew chapter 19, quotes that verse from Genesis chapter 2. When he says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father, and mother, and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one. So this morning, I want to speak to those who are single. That doesn't mean that those of you that are married can say, it's nap time. You go ahead and take your nap if you want. But I want to make sure that the singles of our congregation realize that God has a plan for your life. It may be marriage, but it may also be singleness for the rest of your life. That's up to the Lord. I know what it is like to be raised by a single mom. My biological father left us when I believe I was three years old. I have no recollection of who he is. And it wasn't until I was in fourth grade that my mom married my stepdad. He was the first father I ever understood the role of fatherhood. Was he perfect? By no means. Am I perfect? But- Am I perfect? (laughs) By no means. By no means. So I know what it is like to be raised by a single mom from three years old until I entered to the fourth grade of Mohawk Central Elementary School in New York. I know the hardships I understand, as my mom suffered working endless hours, not only in a factory to give to me and my two sisters clothes and food, but she also took in ironing to make ends meet. I understand that. Singleness is not necessarily easy in our society. But I want to make sure that our singles and those who are teenagers who are yet not married understand that fulfillment of life does not necessarily mean you chase after a mate. Uh, We'll get to this later in our notes. Okay. So what about me? Can we have the first slide, please, Elena? Thank you. What about me? We're going to speak to the agenda, if you will, for singles. There are four principles from 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that we are going to rely upon this morning. If we can have the next slide, please, Elena. Principle number one is this. Waiting on the Lord. Waiting on Let me just phrase that one more time so you understand the clarity of it. Wait on the Lord. There's a right way to wait, and there's a wrong way to wait. If you're with me in a grocery store, and everyone else in our area is in the same grocery store, wasting my time, I'm not a very good waiter. So that's what I'm not talking about. I'm talking about what is the biblical principle of waiting, the right way to wait on the Lord. There's a big difference between simply marking time and purposely waiting on God to accomplish his will in your life. If you're waiting on a person, that person may not come. Or his or her arrival may may prove to be a disappointment. But if you're waiting on the Lord to work his will in his time, he will never arrive late and disappoint you. What do we mean by waiting on the Lord? 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verses 25 and 26 sort of highlight when he says, Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I do give an opinion as one who by the Lord's mercy is faithful. Because of the present distress, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Whatever place of life a single person may be in, the Apostle Paul tells the single to take a good look at their circumstances while they're waiting. What the Apostle Paul is saying here is this, When Jesus was on the earth, he didn't discuss this, so let me tell you what he told me to tell you. In other words, this instruction was from Paul's pen, but it was from the Lord himself through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Note that Paul immediately tied singleness to moral purity. This is important because in order to wait the Lord's way, you need his help. But you won't get help from the Lord if you're compromising him in your moral life. Purity is high on God's agenda for singles. The Apostle Paul shares with us some positive aspects of singleness I always wanted to get on a motorcycle and cross the United States and come back. When I was 18 years old, that was a driving passion for me. Then I got married at 19. I don't have a motorcycle. But I do have a wife who hates to ride a (laughs) motorcycle. So that's not going to happen. Single people, let me give you some of the positive aspects. The Apostle Paul here, he makes a statement. He talks about the present distress in verse 26. Because of the present distress stay single. What's he talking about? He's writing this during the time of the Roman Emperor Nero. Nero is an arch enemy of the church of Jesus Christ. He made sport of their lives. Without getting in too much detail, what he would do is he would take Christians, wrap them in animal cloth, spread them with animal blood, and then throw them in the middle of the Colosseum for a sport. If you are single, Paul is saying, in the present distress, then at that situation, you don't have to worry about a family, and a family doesn't have to worry about you. Now, obviously, we're not living in that situation right now. It would be better to be single, not to have family to worry about you, or to you worry about them. Paul told the single Christians in Corinth to analyze their circumstances before they agree to marry. He wanted them to determine, am I really better off if I marry? In our present society, though, if you are single, you still need to take a serious look at your circumstances. Even if you are not about to be thrown to the lions, your work situation, your finances, your level of self-control, the spiritual condition of a possible partner. So while you're waiting on the Lord, make sure your thinking is straight. Paul was trying to emphasize that there are bigger things at stake in a Christian life than a person's marital status. This shouldn't be such a big deal for singles today, except that we're guilty as a society and as a church of making single people feel like second-class citizens. God doesn't make any distinction between married and single people in terms of their value. In verse 27, he says, Are you bound to a wife? Don't seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Don't seek a wife. If God wanted all believers to be married, he would have commanded us to do so. The book of Hezekiah, chapter 3, verse 27, says, you shall be married. But that did book didn't make it to this book. And by the way, there's no such book as Hezekiah. I just want to let you know. God didn't say that everybody has to be married. You won't ever find that in the scriptures. But in 1 Corinthians seven twenty eight. <coughs> there are challenges to being married, and all God's people would say, I suspect mostly husbands said amen on that one. There are challenges. In my pre-marriage counseling, I tell couples this analogy. When you come to the altar, each one of them is bringing a suitcase it's a suitcase of life. And in those suitcases, there are three forms of life. You've got all the good parts that are all nicely folded, all in there, stacked very nicely. Then you've got a section of your suitcase that life has been ruffled up a little bit. We just take those things out, we shake them, and we refold them, and we put them back in. But then every suitcase has gum and candy wrappers. Junk. That's what we got to clean out. Because in order to put two suitcases to one, junk's got to go. There are challenges of Marriage. In verse 28, Paul says, marriage begins with a whole new set of challenges. If you don't believe this, just ask any married couple you may come in contact with. That's why if you're single, don't ever think you can marry to escape your problems. Oh, Lord have mercy. All you do is you drag your problems with you. Let me give you the 50% rule. Today, in our society, 50% of all Christian marriages end in divorce. That's scary. 50% of Christian marriages end in divorce. Now, if you're single and you know that statistic and you think that, well... I'll give it a try. Let me rephrase that a little bit. If you knew that 50% of all airplanes that leave the tarmac are going to crash, how many airline tickets are you going to buy? I guarantee you would do some investigation. Who's the pilot? How's his record? Who worked on this plane? When was this plane built? I used to sell cars. People never buy a car that was created on Monday. You will have trouble because the weekend before Monday all of the auto workers maybe didn't go to church and never buy a car that was made on Friday. Because the workers are looking forward to what they did the last weekend. Monday, Friday, when you go buy a car, ask the dealer, ask your salesperson, what date was this car made? If it's Monday, you don't want it. Friday, you don't want it. Tuesday through Thursday, you got a pretty good car. What are we saying here? Take inventory. Marriage, when you see Shrek and his wife going down the road in the back of that carriage, and a sign comes up happily ever after, that's a Disney lie. It's a Disney lie. Life isn't going to be happily ever after. Can I get an amen from the wives of the congregation? Oh, they ain't speaking. Wow. Okay. So what do we do? Let God be your matchmaker. If you want to find a mate, you need a divine matchmaker. In other words, focus on the Lord and let him do your looking for you. If you stop looking and start living out biblical faith, when then the divine finder is ready, he'll lead you to a mate and you won't be frustrated. If you're single, the Bible urges you to keep your antenna tuned Toward the Lord God and wait for his signal. And when you're tuned into God, you won't need to call a dating service. Don't those things, don't those advertisements make you sick? Call this number, get hooked up. With who? Someone that lives in California, who do you know about that person? But he looks good. Oh, she looks great. Yeah, so does cyanide if you, until you take it out of the bottle. Good Lord, have mercy. The book of Ruth is a good illustration of what we're talking about here. In chapter 1, verse 16, Ruth says to Naomi, I'll go where you go. Your God will be my God. She wasn't looking For another man, she was married, but her husband died. Now she committed herself to making sure that Naomi had someone to take care of her. But in God's providence, Boaz showed up. Boaz saw Ruth garnering grain from his field, and he said, Hubba, dubba ding ding baby, you got everything. Who is that? The foreman of the field said, that's Ruth. She's taking care of Naomi. The first thing he saw was the integrity of a woman. She wasn't there to capture anybody. She was there to provide for her mother-in-law. And God brought Boaz. Oh, he had to take a route of what, of, of what is called the, uh, the individual that could buy her birthright. But when it got all said and done, when God matched them up, all of a sudden Ruth found herself as the great-grandmother of King David. For this we need to watch for the Lord. That's what Paul is telling us in verse 29. This is what I mean, brothers and sisters. The time is limited. Time is limited. Paul is not saying for husbands to go out and get rid of their wives. Of of course he's not saying that. But he is saying that all of us, singles included, need to take an eternal perspective on our lives. Says Jesus is going to return any day. And by the way, I hope it's today. <laughs> I've had enough. By the way, have you heard the new saying? It's not Father's Day anymore. It's non-childbearing person day. That's the last time I'm uttering those words. Happy Father's Day. They're not taking that from me. surely I'm not trying to lay any extra burden on singles here. We all need to keep in mind that everything we do is to be done with eternity and focus. There's nothing wrong with marriage, emotions, or finances, but they're short term in comparison to the coming kingdom as Paul describes for us in verse 30. Waiting on the Lord, according to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, gives us three things. It reminds us that we'll have a strength renewed, a tired, less running, and an unfading walking. Keeping our eyes on Jesus will make the journey all worthwhile. The second point I wish to make from this passage is this: working for the Lord, waiting on the Lord, working for the Lord. In First Corinthians seven verses 20 and 24, it says, "Each man must remain in that condition in which he is called. We are to remain in your calling. From these verses, the Apostle Paul is saying that your singleness is not just the status you happen to be in right now. It's part of your divine calling. Having a divine calling doesn't mean that you have to be in full-time Christian ministry. Your calling may involve your occupation that you're using for the glory of God's kingdom. And once you see being single... As a calling from God, you can give yourself to following and serving him without anxiety about your future. God doesn't want you to reduce where he has you just because you want to be married. He wants you to hang out with him in the state that you're in until or if he takes you to another calling. There's a freedom in singleness, in verse 32 to 34, the Apostle Paul says, he gives us the context that singles are the free ones while married people are bound. Now, just got to make this statement. I love being married. I wouldn't want it any other way. I love that I have a wife That coming up on our 47th anniversary, she was willing to stay with me. When long time ago, she probably should have kicked me out the door. I thank God for that. I love being married. But there is a time. When my wife had her first heart shock to get her heart back in rhythm, she, she made sure she told me, now if this goes south, I don't want you to marry any other person. I said, baby, you don't worry about that. I'm getting two German shepherds. <laughs> I'll name one of them. I'll get a female and a male. The female is going to be named Nancy. I don't want to be single. I don't even know how to balance a checkbook. There's two meals I can make, peanut butter and jelly. And then for a hot meal, it's peanut butter and jelly on toast. (laughs) I'm so used to being married, I don't know what it would be like to be alone. I have no idea. I wouldn't want that. But if that would be God's purpose, so be it. If God would determine that I'm to be alone, so be it. I would not remarry. That's my own choice. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's my own choice. I would not get remarried because I've had the perfect wife. And I'm not about to try to train another one. (laughs) I love my wife. But you that are single, what God wants from you is your complete devotion. Being married offers people an unusual degree of freedom to not only pursue God's calling for their lives, but to pursue passions that make a person feel alive. A single person has the opportunity to explore hidden talents, take risks to achieve things they dream about, and experience things they could never experience when they're married. But that means Christian singles have a decision to make, whether to focus on who God made them to be or spend their time worrying about when Mr. Wright or Ms. Wright is going to show up. Paul's telling us we need to fulfill God's destiny for ourselves. Here's the question that every single person needs to ask. God, how do you want me to use my singleness for you until you change it for your maximum purpose? And when God answers that question, even though desire to be married may be, still remain, you will have a passion and a purpose that will supersede any dominating thoughts that will be held for marriage. The third thing that Paul reminds us, wait on the Lord, work for the Lord. The third thing in verse 39, he says, wed in the Lord. The permanence of marriage. In Matthew 19, Jesus is teaching about marriage and the permanence of marriage. And in verse 10, the disciples asked the question, is it better not to marry? Jesus did not contradict them. He answered, in effect, you better think about that. Marriage is still death do us part. Let me take a moment, if I can, to discuss two issues which seem to be used as reasons for divorce. They are the sin of adultery, recorded in Matthew 19, verse 9. There Jesus says, that sexual immorality may very well be a means by which someone who was married to become single. The other is abandonment in 1 Corinthians five fifteen, where the Apostle Paul talks about a husband who would leave his wife and never come back. That too may be a ground. What do we do with these issues? Well, the, these issues may lead to the thought of divorce, but God is always interested in reconciliation. Reconciling. That raises another question. What if one of the mates is not interested in reconciliation? As a pastor, I've had to ask that, I have had to answer that question. It's not an easy question. I know what the book of Malachi says, that it says that God hates divorce. That hasn't changed. I know that in Matthew 19, the Pharisees came to Jesus and asked them about the divorce papers that Moses drew up. And Jesus said the only reason he did that is because of the hardness of your heart. They didn't want to change. So what do you do? What do you do? Let me give you my answer that I tell individuals that I've had to answer that question. You must do what God is leading you to do in your heart. I cannot be the determiner of that. If you're asking me what I would do, the first thing I would do is wait for time. You never know what God may do. But I do believe that once one of the mates does go and marry somebody else, I believe that the first person now is set free. They may pursue somebody else, but only in God's time. Abandonment. Remember I told you, that was part of my life. My mother did the right thing. She waited. She waited until there was no more waiting to be done. Apparently my biological father married another person. I've met my half-brother from that marriage. He's a sweet guy. I love him. But my mom waited until my stepdad came along. I'm thankful for that. She taught me a valuable lesson that I wish to teach to you. Time is the best To wait. Just don't settle for any Tom, Dick, or Harry, or Mary, or Susie, or Julie. Wait. See what God would do. Then the decision is between you and the Lord. But the Apostle Paul talks about us being married in the Lord. When Paul said believers are to marry in the Lord, he ruled out marrying non-Christians. Teenagers, I know you haven't been listening too much right now, but listen now. Don't ever marry a non-believer thinking that you're going to change them. That does not happen. It doesn't happen. And just because you find a young man or a young woman that comes to the youth group, that don't mean they're pristine either. You want to test them. One of the best ways to test a mate is to try to get them to change a diaper on a dirty kid. If it don't work, then I guarantee you it ain't going to work. Find out. Who do they listen to? What do they read? What do they watch? If they're, wor- if they're watching 90 day, fi- that show. <laughs> Apparently 90 days, then people get hooked up. If they're watching that. Sorry, buddy. Or sorry, miss. We ain't going the same way. Be careful. If you belong to Jesus Christ, you're going to heaven, not hell. And unless other person is willing to fly with you towards your destination, then you can't be on the same plane together. It won't work. Marriage for the Christian must be in the Lord. I don't care how handsome or what kind of cologne they wear. I got some nice cologne, it's only for my wife. I don't spray it for anybody else. I don't care how lovely they may seem, guys. There's a lot of Jezebels walking the streets. Be careful. So what do you have for a successful marriage? A successful single, excuse me. Number one, maintain moral purity. Take a lesson from the life of Joseph in Genesis chapter 39. He shows up in a great job. He's in charge of Potiphar's house. What Potiphar didn't tell him is that his wife is a floozy. She wanted Joseph. And Joey said, no way, woman, no way. And he ran away. He got accused. He ended in prison. There for seven years. Until he met a food taster and a baker. One of them told Pharaoh about the dream, because Pharaoh had a dream. You see, if you wait on God, God will bring you to the right place. Sometimes it may go through a dungeon, but God will set you up as second in command. You need to keep your focus on God. So there are three options. If you haven't taken a single note, just do this. Three options that you got being single. There they are. Option number one, you can gripe. God, I'm tired of waiting for you to send me a mate. I'm going to go find my own. You can gripe. God's a perfect gentleman. He won't stop you. And I'm really glad that God never says, see, I told you so. Secondly, you can do this. You can grab. You can grab the next person who walks by and try yourself to marry outside of God's timing or will, and I'm going to tell you, it isn't going to work. Well, the third thing you can do is you can grow. You can sit back, take a deep breath, and get some work done. I guarantee you, which one will you choose determines what God has for you. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, it's it's a difficult, difficult issue. We want to be significant in society. We want to be like other people. And that may very well be your will for our lives, but if we as singles, or singles in the congregation, society, are not willing to wait on you, then we'll find ourselves in a world of hurt. Oh Lord, singleness is not a punishment. It can very well be a blessing. Marriage is not necessarily the end of the result. It can be a blessing. The issue is, as we've studied, as we've come to the conclusion of this study, that husbands, we are commanded to love our wives. Wives, you are commanded to respect your husband. And singles, you are given the command of God to wait and work. And maybe then you'll be able to wed in the Lord. Those things I'm sure of. And as we as families of Grace Community Church may we do what God's called us to do. Because life on this earth is short. And with eternity in focus, may we strive with everything that we have to do to please the one who loves us and gave himself for us. Because that is where the real blessing is. And it's in the name of Christ our Savior I pray. Amen.